0: Good morning, I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the August 1, 2017 edition of Ask a Leader. Last weekend's Politicon in Pasadena was a wild ride for all the wonky and worldly landscape. I was surprised to meet folks who didn't know their member of Congress or never met a legit refugee, but they sure had opinions about refugees. Uh, Pod Save America Trio, the Joy Reid, Black Lives Matter, the LBJ film director Rob Reiner, Daily Show, Al Jazeera America, AfterBuzz, and all the usual suspects were gathered there. Then on a different topic, Dear Abby has now joined the Brady Center, that's the Campaign for the Prevention of Gun Violence and advising parents to ask if there's an unlocked loaded gun where their child plays. Dear Abby heard the Brady folk and now uses her platform to spread the word. A simple question on the way to prevent gun violence perpetrated on young life. Now on today's program, we'll devote the whole hour toward the withering yet present legacy of the Navajo, Hopi, Ute, Mountain Ute, and Ute and Pueblo tribes we shall contemplate the sacred terrain with Angelo Baca, Native American documentary filmmaker, and Matthew Campbell, staff attorney for the Native American Rights Fund, as they take up their respective and varied efforts to preserve the recently designated U.S. National Monument in southeast Utah known as Bears Ears, or Shashja. I'm going to hope I can say it right. They'll consider who is taking from whom following the U.S. Interior Department's closing of its comment period over the current administration's intentions to roll back the December 2016 U.S. monument designation. If some of this makes you consider more deeply what is beneath the ground you live, work, and play upon, then mission partially accomplished. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show, everybody. My guests for the entire hour are filmmaker, Angelo Baca, and attorney Matthew Campbell to take up the U.S. National Monument known in English as Bears Ears, or in Navajo as Shash Acclaimed author, Terry Temple Williams, speaks for all who've taken in the space when she deems it, and I quote her word for earnest word, the most beautiful and the most vulnerable place on earth. Angela Baca, an enrolled member of the Navajo and Hopi, produces quite remarkable and edifying fiction and nonfiction films. He was the director and writer for the released into America, the ancestor's land. He's a graduate of the Native Voices program at the University of Washington. He has done numerous documentaries and collaborative works with other filmmakers. His first interactions with food sovereignty have been with Pacific Northwest Coastal tribes who introduced him to a rich variety of culturally and nutritionally amazing foods with traditional food specialists and teachers. Recently, he taught at Brown University, both Native American literature and Native American media film courses, brushing shoulders with the Greats and the the Dear Departed, he pursues research interests varying from indigenous food sovereignty and Native American health and wellness to indigenous film and cinema to native youth development projects, including indigenous natural repatriation. And I do want to mention he's finished his uh, Master's of Fine Arts at, the, at New York University. Our other guest is Matthew Campbell, an enrolled member of the native village of Gamble on the St. Lawrence Island in Alaska. He's as staff attorney with the Native American Rights Fund March of 2013. Prior to joining the Native American Rights Fund, he was an attorney with Cuddy McCarthy Law Firm in New Mexico with a practice focused on Indian law, education, water law, and general civil litigation. Prior to that, Matt clerked for their Zona Court of Appeals Division One with now retired Judge Patrick Irvine. Matt completed his Bachelor of Arts in Sociology from Fort Lewis College, attended the Pre-Law Summer Institute for American Indians and Alaska natives, where he later was a tutor for that institute. He earned his J.D., his law degree, from the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University. While at law school, Matt worked with Indian Legal Clinic and also clerked with Bledsoe Downs and Rosier Firm. Matt is admitted to practice before the state courts of New Mexico and Colorado, United States District Courts for New Mexico, Arizona and North Dakota, Third Circuit Court of Appeals, Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, Supreme Court of the United States, and Pueblo of Isleta. It's a New Mexico Native American unincorporated community. Angelo comes to us today from where is that hotel, Angelo?
1: Toya, Colorado.
0: Okay. And Matthew Campbell comes to us from Boulder, Colorado. Welcome to Ask a Leader, gentlemen. Thank you for having me, Claudia. Thank you for having us. That Okay. The first one was Matthew, and I believe the second is was Angelo. So this program began when I had the honor and opportunity to meet Angelo Baca when he presented a short film about Bears Ears featuring his grandmother and I don't know if um when we say invoke their names are we rustling them in their dear departed state or can, may we invoke your grandmother's well, name?
1: well yeah I believe that this is uh, an issue that was near and dear to her heart and uh, my grandmother was uh, very generous with her knowledge and her time and, and she believed in it so much And I do think that, you know, she's also helping us now. And this is something that I've taken great uh, care with in terms of those who have been dearly departed. Um, With my other Indigenous international repatriation work, many of those considerations have to be taken when you move forward with certain things like sacred lands protection or artifacts or burial grounds or any of that. So in this respect, we... We look at the Navajo background and, of course, all the other tribes involved with the intertribal coalition and do things as culturally sensitive and respectful as possible.
0: Well, that's what I want to be when I – if I invoke her name, I don't I don't want to disrupt where her soul has headed. And so I've, I'll take your lead on whether you invoke her name by name. Mm-hmm. But it's where I was able first to meet Angela. It was a remarkable – short film, but now we're, I'm going to start with Angela. This The intertribal ownership and connection to Bears Ears is very significant in their collaboration, in all your collaboration, the pursuit of the designation of the U.S. monument. And I, I hasten to say to all listeners that every tribe involved, they use the, their languages' words for Bears Ears. So even that is a, sort of a uniformity. But talk about the intertribal collaboration, which was really quite extraordinary leading up to the designation last December.
1: Right. Well, the intertribal coalition kind of grew out of the fundamental work that was done with Utah Dinepikea. And I work with them as a cultural resources coordinator currently. And, you know, they gathered interviews, oral stories, histories, just information from a lot of the grassroots. Navajo people who live here in the area all around San Juan County. That's why we were able to make a foundational basis to have all of these areas listed and marked and gathered to be the the ultimate 1.9 million acre proposal for the Bears Ears National Monument. And in the end, you know, that was something very fruitful because it did garner so many neighboring nations attention and you know the the coalition began to form as something that they all wanted to come together and protect the sacred ancestral lands of those tribes that they could all trace some um, ancestry to so uh, it's a remarkable collaboration in which some of these tribes had already had previous history of battles and skirmishes yes. and already existing disagreements, but they were willing to put that aside and work together and focus on the singular goal of protecting the land.
0: And I want to also point out that let's put it down on the map for those who are not yet familiar. The monument is located in the southeastern corner of Utah in San Juan County. And is it the San Juan River? That's what runs through it or around it? What's What's the name of the river uh, that runs through
1: it borders, yes, it, it borders, borders it. the San Juan San Juan River, and it comes all the way down uh, basically to the state line, just right in the area of the state line of Arizona and Utah, and goes all the way up almost, you know, towards Moab, uh, comes all the way over towards Lake Powell. And it's a very large 1.3 billion-acre uh, monument, but, you know, it's also just... Beautiful wilderness, so many different uh, ecological and biological diversity that lives there. So it's a delicate ecosystem, and it's not really extremely developed. It's still very, very much a wilderness, uh, rough, rough country.
0: Well, and we'll get into some of those very lovely attributes in just a bit. I want to sort of cover mm-hmm. lots of institutional generalities. First, Matthew, would you please talk about... NARF, the uh, Native American Resources Fund, and your involvement in this intertribal effort.
2: Sure, Claudia. Thank you. The the Native American Rights Fund was founded in 1970, and it's the oldest and largest nonprofit law firm dedicated to asserting and defending the rights of Indian tribes, organizations, and individuals nationwide. Early in, in NARF's existence, they developed a steering committee that set forth the five major priorities for the organization and typically when we take on certain cases due to our limited resources they must fit in with the five different priorities which are to preserve tribal existence protect tribal natural resources promote Native American human rights hold governments accountable to Native Americans as well as develop Indian law and educate the public about Indian rights laws and issues so I, I was very honored and pleased to be able to work here at NARF and as well as to work with the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition. At uh, NARF, we represent three of the tribes on the coalition. We represent the Pueblo of Zuni, the Hopi tribe, and the Ute Mountain Ute tribe, which are three of the tribes on the coalition. And we started working with the coalition just this year, but we've been monitoring and, and supporting the coalition in their development, their proposal and working with the administration to push for uh, the Bears Ears National Monument. And I think it's worth echoing uh, what Angelo mentioned about the Utah Denea Bakaya's work to really push for the Bears Ears National Monument, because it was an intensive cultural mapping work that I'm sure we can talk more about, but it included experts in ecology, biology, anthropology, archaeology, public policy, and and many different areas of scientific and other academic expert fields really help to push for the boundaries of the Bears Ears National Monument and why it is such an important area scientifically and historically uh, to be protected under the Antiquities Act. So I'm sure we'll get into more of that. But I just wanted to echo, you know, the importance of UDB, Utah Denebakea's work starting in roughly 2010, to push for uh, the Bears Ears National Monument.
0: So the vulnerable aspect that I mentioned earlier, it's about the, there are at least, a, uh, esti- there's an estimate of 100,000 archaeological features in there, in uh, uh, artifacts around the monument. There's the ecologically sensitive areas, and there's increasing evidence of, plundering of the archaeological specimens among other things so the the press is on to to see it's not only maintaining the monument's designation but to maintain the oversight the, the the preservation and the resource management of this area so i i want to find out what i i'd like to bring up is a little cultural background that makes for this political critical sort of schism here is that Angela has done some really interesting work on the deeply institutionalized explanation that the mormons bring to who who's owned what and and who's who belongs to these lands which it at it, it, the mormon relationship and the mormon historical explanation as a way of undermining the claims of whose history is here, and it, this personal history is integral to one's self-esteem, as it's mentioned in your interviews in your earlier film. I'd like you to talk about, Angelo, the importance of history grounding the individual, how that happens, how that gets done at Bears Ears.
1: Well, I think Bears Ears is significant for a lot of the uh, ties to, you know, not just place, and and family and communities but you know also culturally like you can you can understand that a lot of the stories that exist in many of these communities they have some association some some tie back to bear's ears whether that's native or non-native they can all tell you about trails that they took or places that they harvest, places that they go for hunting or prayer or ceremony or wood collection. And that's really significant because, you know, as you're saying, there is sort of a political tug of war with who's represented and who's not. So whenever you talking you're talking about heritage or the past or monuments, you're really talking about whose history is being represented, who is being put at the forefront and seeing being seen as a visible entity. So it's kind of like always considering you know who gets to have a voice and who gets to be represented, who is left out and why are they left out and what kind of visibility exists there and why does why does that matter? Why is that important? So the significance of the Bears Ears National Monument is really written into The proclamation now, the legislative piece of that, in a way that has never been done before. As you've said, the tribes have listed, they have listed in there the names, the name of Bears Ears in those languages. And they're they're all Bears Ears. They all say Bears Ears. So separately, independently, they've come to that conclusion that they all agree, and they know that to be a sacred place called Bears Ears. So that's significant in in of itself, because, you know, native languages are not represented very well. We're not represented in the archive very well. We're not represented in law very well. In fact, we're, we're often an afterthought. So it also comes back to this whole, you know, settler colonial imposition upon our communities in legal, economic, historical, and uh, political ways. And so we're always having to navigate these larger systems that never had us in consideration from the beginning.
0: For those of you who have just joined us, my guests here on Ask Leader are Angela Baca, Native American documentary filmmaker and Native American Resources Fund staff attorney Matthew Campbell, who works directly with the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition. We're talking about what is this sacred place, this now U.S. national monument designated last December by the Obama administration. Well, the I'm, I'm not sure if uh, who wants to take this up. You both have something to say uh, with this clash here is over the archaeological attributes, among other sacred features. There are hunting grounds, there's medicinal plants and other, uh, other plants versus the impacts of mineral extraction, cattle ranching, development, and as I mentioned earlier, relics that are being pillaged. So this is what's colliding here. And so I guess I want to give the irony uh, award to the San Juan County Land Commissioner about what's the quote here was in the New York Times travel section about, you know, you just can't take something from somebody, away from somebody. But it's sort of, it's, it's an artful piece of work to draw the line 150 years ago when those archaeological attributes place the native american civilization back to 12,000 7,000 sounds like a fire alarm in your hotel room
1: <laughs> that's exactly what it is um oh, well. but it seems to be okay now
0: wow they've got to get their phone lines and their their d- detectors working there so you get all your money back and I'll, we'll help you with that paperwork later so anyway though, so there is there's the collision course of these attributes and i uh, and i Also hasten to say that there's already been mineral extraction in the area and the water that the local people are relying on has been fouled by some of the uranium mining that's been abandoned, the holes left behind. So let's talk about how those two factions reconcile Uh what is uh, the the maintenance, the management of these lands. You want to say something about that, Matthew?
2: Sure. Well, you know, a lot of times when we do this kind of sacred places, work protection, I like to give a little background to let people know what we're, what are we really talking about? Yes. And and Angelo mentioned it a little bit, but I mean, with the the Hopi people and the Zuni people, what we're talking about is the history of their people. Like Angelo mentioned, they have stories that go, oral traditions that go all the way back to the Bears Ears region and still mention places within that region. And with the Hopi and Zuni, there were clans from their pueblos that went north into the Ears region and created these villages, created these sites, and, and lived there for many, many hundreds of years. And when they traveled south to where the Hopi now are and where the Pueblo of Zuni now are, they have these migration routes that the, the Pueblos and the Hopi can still trace back to these trails and these migration routes from their historic clans that were traveling in these areas. And so they're very important to them. They they mention the people. They they refer to them as the people of long ago, the Hisatsanam that that lived within these areas, and they still have um, ceremonies and, and practices to honor them and to honor the land where their people lived. Um and it's the same with all of the tribes. The Utes also traditionally have what's known as a bear dance every single year. Typically a bear dance would happen after the first thunderstorm of the year. It would signify the time for the bear dance to come. And all of the different Ute tribes would have a bear dance. It would start in the north and then it would go to the different Ute tribes and end the very last bear dance in the uh, and around the Bears Ears National Monument is where the last bear dance would take place. And the bear dance is something that to bring people together. It was historically a dance for people to a courtship dance. It's more of a social dance today, but it takes place in Bears Ears where these ceremonial grounds still are. And so this is the the area we're talking about. Is our history. It's it's where we live and it's where we still go to gather medicine herbs. Um, for ceremonies that still play, take place in and around Bear's Ears, and so that's what we're really talking about is history that goes back thousands of years, and, and it's still tied to the cultural practices of our people today. And so it's it is ironic that you know when when the when some people mention that it feels as if we're taking the land when they've only been there for 100, 150 years when we can trace you know, our people back thousands of years to this area when it was taken by the, you know, U.S. government. So it is a, a bit of irony there that I will, you know, like to mention, but I think it's very important to understand and you know, why this area is so important to us. It, it's to the tribes, it's, it's their history, it's their culture. They still have practices that, that tie them to this area, and it's really tied into their spiritual beliefs and their practices. So, it, I think it's always important to keep that in mind.
0: And Matthew, originally the tribes had submitted a 1.9 million acre parcel uh, monument and it was scaled to 1.35 million acres. So was that, was there some detail in that that's worth explaining or?
2: Yeah, I think there is. A, you know, the, originally the tribes and the Intertribal Bears Ears Coalition pushed a proposal to the Obama administration um, based on the cultural mapping that UDB, Utah, Tenebukeya undertook. And based on that cultural mapping, they identified the boundary where all these important objects, items, sites, and and areas are within a 1.9 million acre boundary. And so the Bears Area Coalition pushed for that 1.9 million acre boundary with the Obama administration as well as with the local communities in Utah through the PLI process. And they started that in maybe roughly 2014, I think. And then in the end, you know, after years of outreach and coordination with the local communities and and the states and the tribes, the Obama administration landed on the 1.35 million acre boundary as somewhat of a compromise the The areas that we're taking out are primarily areas for development, mineral and and other development. And so really the the current boundary as it is today is already a compromise, yes, to support the the extraction industry.
0: And that portion of acreage that remained outside was there a negotiation of the resource management to hold the the federal agencies accountable and the the state and local agencies overseeing it more immediately, holding them accountable to reining in any kind of externalities on uh, other parcels, including the monument itself, as designated later? Well, I
2: think, you know, the the certain areas within the Bears region, I think it's important to point out that before it was a national monument, it was Forest Service land, and it was yes. Bureau of Man- Land Management land. And, and th- each of those agencies have their own statutes that dictate the way they have to manage land, and it's primarily, as an example, multiple use, and so you would um, utilize extraction, you'd utilize recreation, um, sustained yield, as well as protecting um, artifacts to the extent you can, and and so the, the areas that are outside of Bears Ears will likely still be made, managed by the federal agencies in that multiple use way, and so they'll balance the different interest in managing those lands, whereas the areas now within the monument must be managed to protect the objects and the purposes of the proclamation. So there are greater protections for the sites and the cultural objects and the archaeological objects within the monument boundaries now because of that, the Antiquities Act language that provides for those greater protections as opposed to the statutes that govern the Forest Service or the VOM.
0: Well, I I like how Obama's Secretary of Interior then, Sally Jewell, in her negotiations, she laid out the government's role as being, and I quote her, in the forever business. Six months later now, we have Secretary of Interior Zinke, a, a Navy SEAL, a football player, and former representative from Montana. He has a different marching order the current disposition of the monument. I want you to roll out all you can, both Angelo on the cultural and the political part here, uh, lobbying, and the the legal part. We can open up more. The what Now, the comment period ended on July 17. That was one month's window where Secretary Zinke mentioned in June he wanted to roll back the monument to essentially the ridgeline where those where the, let's say, the famous sort of profile that where the Bears Ears comes from?
1: Yeah, it seemed that um, he was making a case for protecting some of it, but not all of it. I think he was framing it in a very classically scientific Western way of you can protect these particular runes or the sites or the buttes because of you know what you, you can see in front of you. But I think the key part that is, is missing from that assumption that he's making is that, you know, you really, you could have any pot or any object or anything, but without the people to actually contextualize it, give it more information, give it more depth, give it a history and the culture around it, you really don't have a whole lot. And archaeologists, anthropologists, scientists will say as much because they can only list so many things and, you know, oftentimes are wrong. You know, they make these assumptions, these hypothetical scientific assumptions. But, you know, I've seen numerous times, even in my own scholarship in, in different contexts, that, you know, the experts are the people themselves. The cultural experts are those Native communities who live there who who have understood it and lived it, read it, and continue to do so. In that way I think the perspective of that government view is very limited. And that's why the language in the proclamation traditional knowledge with the communities in Bears ears is so significant because it stands for something that's unprecedented and hasn't been done before and is a yeah, collaborative management
0: plan. So, well, Matthew, can you address how the Department of Interior is maneuvering right now? We're, we'll talk about future tactics, strategies, and that kind of thing, but right now, what? how does the process impress you?
2: Well, I think like you mentioned, we had roughly a month under this new administration to comment on Bears Ears, whereas the prior administration, the Obama administration, spent roughly two years doing outreach and working with and coordinating with uh, the state, the tribes, and the local communities to discuss and talk about the Bears Ears National Monument. And, you know, Secretary Jewell and the President let the communities know that they were thinking about doing a national monument, and they were hoping that the tribes and everyone could come together and, and really work out the process to protect the area, and so this this truncated review period that is going on right now is really it's not it's uncalled for. For one, the Antiquities Act does not authorize any review of any national monument, so there's no statutory authority for this. There's no precedent for this type of review. No precedent um, at all.
0: I mean that's that's, that's, that's right. remarkable.
2: And and we let the administration know that and um we we met a couple times with the administration, but you know, the the state of Utah and the local communities got several more meetings and days and days of meetings, whereas we got a few hours of meetings with the administration. Um and in in the end, in his interim recommendation, Secretary Zinke has already tipped his hat that he's thinking about recommending modifying the boundaries of Bears ears and so we disagree with that. Wholeheartedly, and we will um, take every step necessary to protect Bears' Ears and defend it uh, going forward.
0: Well, and we have the the legislators, the, rep, the federal representatives, that is uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, and who, the co- congressman represent the area is now his, the name escapes me. Anyway, the congressman, that they're, I, I, as I would say, they're working their manifest destiny a bit by proclaiming. I'm going to quote. Senator Hatch mentioned when he was showing Secretary Zinke around Bears Ears that, quote, the Indians, they don't fully understand that a lot of things that they currently take for granted on those lands, they won't be able to do if it's made clearly into a monument or a wilderness. Once you put a monument there, you do restrict a lot of things that could be done, and that includes use of land. Just take my word for it. But that's, that's more provocation than fact, correct, Matthew?
2: Yeah, this really harkens back into a, this paternalistic notion that we know what's best for you, so trust us. And it really belies the history of the Bears Ears Proclamation, because it was the tribe that came together, they knew what they were doing, they knew what they wanted, and they pushed for this monument. They took the lead and they knew exactly what they wanted to protect their sacred sites, protect their archaeological resources, their medicines, their herbs, and so they understood completely what they were doing. And so to to come back now and say you didn't know what you were doing it is a little bit paternalistic. It's that manifest destiny, you know, mindset, and it is kind of a slap in the face to the tribes because they really did take the lead in pushing for this monument.
0: Well, pushing it, there was also a little something, I don't. I hope it's not fake news, but even Secretary of Interior Zinke's comportment talking with people that are were activists, I believe, uh, on the ground there, and, you know, he's He was uh, rude to them.
2: That's right. He was rude to them. And he even came out after his interim report and said that the tribes were happy with his report of shrinking the boundaries. And that's just from all the tribes in the intertribal coalition, not a single tribe has come out with that position. In fact, all five tribal nations, sovereign government bodies, have resolutions in support of Bears Ears as it stands and they're not happy about shrinking or diminishing the Bears Ears National Monument. So that, I'm not sure where Secretary Zinke got that from, but that did not come from the Bears Ears and Turk Tribal Coalition or the Native Nations within that coalition.
0: So some fabricated entity there. Well, that's too is remarkable. Well, the legal challenges are coming, and I don't think it's a, I mean, there's innumerable resources I'm imagining that the ilk, like the Sutherland Institute, is going to be bringing to this post-comment period. What will, do you see the challenge to the rolling back? You talked about the Antiquities Act won't permit this, but there's so many different ways this administration could undermine that monument's designation. So what... What kind of legal work, what kind of political strategies you two have you envisioned for this step forward?
2: Well, you know, this is Matt, and I, I certainly would take a stab at that and let Angelo also talk about the political strategy. But um, as you mentioned, the Antiquities Act does not allow presidents to modify or revoke national monuments once they've been created. If you look at the plain language of the statute, it's very clear Congress delegated to the president authority to reserve national monuments and create them, but there is no language that he can modify or revoke national monuments like there is that language in some other statutes that are are somewhat similar to the Antiquities Act. So it's clear Congress knew what they were doing when they passed the Antiquities Act. They, They knew they were giving the president authority to create a national monument, but they were not giving him authority... Revoke or modify it. So, under the statute that controls and governs Bears Ears, the president has no authority to change or modify the boundaries or or the monument status or revoke it out to altogether. So, I think that's very important to point out, and it's also important because Congress also more recently confirmed that understanding when it passed FLIPMA, the Federal Land Policy Management Act. There's a provision in there that outright states that it's only Congress that can revoke or modify national monuments. And so since that, since FLTMA was passed, no president has tried to revoke or modify a national monument. And I think that really is powerful um, evidence to show that, the, you know, Congress spoke on this. The president's authority is very limited, and he has no authority to revoke or modify a national monument.
0: Angela, do you want to talk about intertribal sorts of uh- Next steps forward to address the—I uh, don't know. It's—I guess we could say, literally and figuratively, the Secretary of Interior is playing a, some kind of trump card, but well, we don't know what suit it is. But so, what are what are the inner tribal? What is the inner tribal coalition working here from July 17 forward?
1: Well, I think it's important to understand how we got to this point, right? And you know what you said with Secretary Jewell. Like, she actually came out there. She came out to Bears Ears during our gathering. She met with the people. She met with the leaders. Uh, She met my grandmother. She talked to Mm -hmm. my grandmother. She was the oldest one there at at Bears Ears. And we had a discussion. As a matter of fact, she has a minute or two in my film where she granted me an interview. And that kind of access is incredible and amazing. And she was somebody approachable available and open and willing to listen to all the sides and so much so that they even had a whole meeting over at bluff for public comment and you know that was just it was packed it was just filled with hundreds of people Uh, the line was going all the way out the door into the street (laughs) into the into the sides of of that space where you know she was holding this meeting, and yes. it brought so many people together. And in that meeting, you could actually see where people were coming from, what they were saying, what they were feeling, everything from, you know, vehement, negative things to very positive, uh, inclusive, and and uh, collaborative statements. And so that's kind of, I think, where, you know, the the cue can be taken is from the tribal leadership, you know, they were willing to put aside differences and work together right. and not just them, but also the government, you know, all the way up to former secretary Jewell, She was willing to talk with people and meet with them because it was done in a respectful manner. It was done with civility and discourse and conversation. And she was hearing both sides. And I think that's really the direction that we were hoping that things would go, and in the direction we still hope things can go in.
0: So, Matthew, what's where are you taking this case now? I, case I don't mean in terms of a, a formal legal case, but where what are your strategies this day forward?
2: Well, you know, to this point, we've submitted comments to Secretary Zinke, putting forth our position and letting him know that there is no authority to do anything. To the Bears Ears National Monument. You can't change the boundaries. You can't modify it. You can't revoke it. And we also met, they met with Secretary Zinke to let him know that in person. And then his interim report came out and we submitted further supplemental comments addressing his report and letting him know that we weren't happy with his interim recommendations, that the the proclamation as it is is very good and we're very happy with the collaborative management that it calls for it incorporates the tribes and the tribal coalition as a commission to provide traditional knowledge in managing the land and so at this point we are just waiting you know and again we let him know also that there is no authority to revoke again and so at this point, we're waiting to see what the final recommendation from Secretary Zinke will be on August 24th.
0: Okay, that's and important And really,
2: date. that will dictate our move forward is what the final recommendation will be.
0: So are you keeping an eye on what Office of Public Budget Management Mick Mulvaney's uh, contribution might be in the the management of any entity at Bears Ears?
2: Well, I think OMB has some oversight and you know, appropriations, of course, but our focus is on the legal side, the legal front, yes. not necessarily the political as much. We want to put the pressure on Secretary Zinke to okay. let him know legally there is no precedent for this and there is no authority for this. And so our focus has been there. I know that the tribes have been working on the political front to work with their delegations, to work with their congressional delegations to to. Promote Bears Ears and, and protect it, and so um, I think that's what the plan is going forward. We want it. We have to work together to promote and protect Bears Ears, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to defend it at all costs.
0: In the court of public opinion, the recent Salt Lake Tribune polls showed that Utahns are essentially evenly split on the size of Bears Ears covering this, as we said, 1.35 million acres in San Juan County, 42% agree with Zinke that the monument is too big, 39% disagree, and 19% don't know. What is that telling us?
1: Well, I think it signals that there's not enough information. Utahns don't really know that much about Bears Ears, and what they do here is often negatively represented in the press. And more to that point, when you do look at what's being put out, I would say you know, less than a quarter of that even mentions the tribes. It even mentions, it barely ever touches upon the leadership and how involved they were and how they are the ones who are taking that initiative to make the monument and why it's so important for us. There's very little discussion about the cultural significance, about the sacred nature of it, about why it's you know, well within our mandate as tribal sovereign nations to initiate, you know, nation-to-nation conversations. So this is something I think that people can understand that Bears-Ears is a good thing, but they don't know enough about the details. There's not enough information. There's not enough of the familiarity with both tribes, sacred lands protections, and the, the sovereignty of tribes. In for for them to make really a, a more detailed decision on that.
0: For those of you who've just joined us, we'll get back to you, Matthew, on that one. That my guests are Angelo Baca, Native American documentary filmmaker, and Native American Resources Fund staff attorney Matthew Campbell. We're talking about the Bears Ears U.S. National Monument under consideration for a, a tr- well it's a trimming but w- as we've talked about the with the antiquities act you don't you don't trim it legally you don't change boundaries legally but the concern is about de facto ways of trimming it in terms of resource management well i guess i mean i i make fun of uh, my radial medium saying acknowledging the limits i do lots of visual things on here now i want to do an olfactory one I, i've i've been curious about this while i've been preparing for this program Angelo, and I, I, maybe you do to know, to Matthew, what does it smell like? What are the smells at Bears Ears? Angelo?
1: Yes. I think, um, you know, I actually just came back from there uh, yesterday. And oh. it's funny that you said that because I can smell ponderosa pines. I can smell sand, red rock, sage, yucca. There's just so many beautiful Sense and sounds and sensations that I experienced in that one day that I was there because all the storms came in and there were clouds on the horizon and you could feel the wind picking up and just right at the hottest point when it was just about to like feel like you couldn't take it anymore, then the rains opened up and the skies let loose all their blessings of the rain on the land. There's just so many things that I could not really describe to you accurately. You have to go there and be there and experience it yourself. This is one of the very few times where you have all these tribal communities expressing an invitation for people to come to the place to understand it, to experience it, and to see for themselves why it's such a special and sacred place and worthy of protection.
0: Well, in, in the the times that we're going through, this the whole healing aspect of what this monument offers, it makes it seem like it's more more potent and more necessary than ever, and I, I, I guess we can talk to our attorney Matthew. So when we protect something to this extent, how might we still get to approach and uh, take in and enjoy the monument? How what's legally, what's a legal activity there?
2: <laughs> well, I think it's it's inter- important to remember what the purposes of the Antiquities Act is, and that's to protect historic and scientific objects, which, as we've talked, there are over 100,000 and likely many more right. objects within the Bears' region that are to be protected. And so the proclamation sets forth certain things to protect those, those objects. And, and it, what it does is it limits certain activities. So mining, for instance, is, is um, prohibited going forward. Valid existing rights are um, not affected, but current claims cannot be made. It also will limit certain other activities like off-road vehicle use, ATV usage in in many different areas. If those activities will threaten objects, then those um, will be limited. But I think you can still go into bear's ears, obviously, as long as you're much more respectful and thoughtful about how you're going about it and and going into the area um, and trying to keep, you know, a small footprint when you go in so that you're not disturbing the objects that are there to be protected. And that's the main purpose for the monument is protect all these sacred sites, these historical objects, these scientific objects and, and archaeological sites and all the different medicines and herbs and ceremonial grounds within Bears Ears. Remember that when you're going in to think about that these are the items to be protected. These are the cultures, the people's cultures to be protected. And keep that respect and, and thought in your mind when you do go in there.
0: But along with people that are going to be in and hiking around, there's also the same access for people that are going to hack away some of those archaeological relics. So how, how does that management take place? How can it effectively be managed?
2: Right, and and one of the main purposes for the Antiquities Act was to prevent looting and stealing of remains like that. Because it's happening. Right. In the 1900s, this was a big issue. Then the the impetus for the Antiquities Act was to protect archaeological sites from looting. And what we've seen within the last decade and, and probably more within the Bears Ears region, that is still occurring. People are still going in and shooting remains with their guns. They're trying to saw off petroglyphs and rock art so they can either keep it or sell it on the black market because it is somewhat of a lucrative market as it was in the 1900s. So one of the purposes for the Antiquities Act was to prevent that looting and that theft from occurring. And so part of that is that it does increase the penalty, the criminal penalty for removing those items and objects.
0: So we talked a little bit about healing. Are there reconciliation opportunities in, let's say, in a cultural and a political way? Is there, is there something that's occurred to either one of you, especially Angelo, because of all of the extraordinary sort of cultural forays you've made, and you've, you've met with Mormons and government entities and all that. You're trying to sort of come together with uh, reckoning a difference in historical notions, what kind of reconciliation yeah. opportunities are you looking at, Angelo? And and maybe there's legal reconciliation, yeah. too, Matthew.
1: Well, I mean, I think it can start small, right? Like, you always have to meet people where they're at when you're trying to effect um, long-term change. So, you know, for us, we have always kind of just had this consistent experience of really being as, you know, not taken into consideration on so many fronts here in San Juan County. And, you know, really Bears Ears is kind of a flashpoint. It's it's an yes. issue that made it all very clear for anyone who's kind of looking at the issues in San Juan County that they already pre-existed, that there were already issues there of this political, legal, historical, cultural, asymmetrical power dynamic that was really an uphill battle for a lot of Indigenous peoples. And so, of course, there are lots of things that can be done. You know, just, we can we can change the voting, redistricting. We can get more Native representation into all those different arms of entities that we just talked about. We could have more, you know, uh, Native Law enforcement, we could actually have law enforcement go down towards the reservation. We hardly see any of them come down. We hardly see anybody in the border towns who are non-native to come into our native communities. We're always the ones who have to learn their language and their economics and their system, and they don't really have any motivation to come and learn about ours. So there are some, but there aren't many. And we really want to increase the opportunities for discussion for positive and productive dialogue and trying to see if there's ways for people on personal, small levels, working up into the larger institutional ones for the possibilities of some sort of, you know, homeostasis, some kind of Mm. equilibrium or Mm. reconciliation that might be able to happen.
0: Matthew?
2: Yeah, I would just for listeners out there that want to support the tribes, I think there's a couple of things you can do. You can reach out to your representatives and tell them you want the national monuments to be protected and you expect them to work to protect those national monuments. The other thing you can do is you can go to our website narf.org and support NARF in its efforts to protect the Bears Ears National Monument or you can support the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition as well. So there are some things you can do out there to be an ally to support the tribes in this fight to help us get to a point where we can Reconciliate, where we can protect Bears is going forward
0: So I want to know Angela, are you documenting what's happening now? Are you going to be making a film about these latest developments?
1: Uh, I would like to make films as, met, as much as possible um, about all the little side stories, all the histories that haven't been represented in film, all the chunks of You know, stories in history that are missing from the books and from the archives and from documents in other films. Like, there's so much that I realize is here that people don't know about, including some of the people who live here don't know about. And so it would be great to actually bring those stories forward.
0: Well, I really want to thank both of you for being a part of the oral tradition here on Ask a Leader And taking the time to be with us today with so much that you've got to work on. Thank you very much, Angelo Baca and Matthew Campbell, for being on this program today.
1: Thank you, Claudia. Claudia.
0: That was my guests were Matthew Campbell, Native American Resources Fund, and Angelo Baca, Navajo filmmaker, documentary maker, storyteller. That was my wrap today. Next week returning to the show will be James Hicks, UCI professor and director of exercise medicine and sports sciences. And Michael Yassa, professor of neurobiology and behavior school of biological sciences with the latest on trauma research. That's the NFL bangs and men versus women's response to trauma and lots in between. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone. For listening